Some podcasts said the Flyers couldn't go on the road and walk away with seven out of eight points. That was not this show. We called it all along. Snow the goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the people's podcast, the players podcast, the prognosticators podcast. Anthony Sanfilippo is here. You can find him on Twitter at AntSanPhilly. I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. Uh, of course, we are being somewhat facetious in this. We did not see seven out of eight points on a road trip, but uh, you uh, you bet your bottom dollar we're going to say that we did. So, uh, Anthony, a lot to unpack. And, of course, not only the road trip, but the Flyers uh, falling behind, well, getting out to an early lead last night. We're recording this on a Friday evening. So they they get up 2-0 in a game last night. They fall behind, give up four consecutive goals, and then roar on back in overtime. So I want to get to that and, of course, what that means going forward. And, of course, things from around the league, including Joel Quenville getting sacked by the Chicago Blackhawks, who, oddly enough, are uh, going to be playing against our Flyers on uh, Saturday afternoon. So, Anthony, uh, what are you thinking so far? How are you feeling? And are you are you buying the, uh, buying the hype right now? I'll take the last question first, uh, which reminds me of the movie Quiz Show. Right. Do you ever see the Quiz Show? Did you ever see that movie? It's a great movie. It's a really, really good movie. It's about the uh, um, game shows that were fixed on TV um, to back in the 1950s, and the guy who kind of and the investigator who kind of you know brought up brought them down. I forget if it was. Uh, I think it was. I think it was CBS. Maybe it was NBC. I forget who what network it was, but they were fixing game shows in the 50s. It was great. It's a really good movie. Um, but anyway, uh, the game that they're Are you playing. Using the National Hockey League of fixing games for the Philadelphia no, Flyers. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying at all. Dave Haxtell's job is that what's <laughs> happening here? No. What I'm, my suggestion is is that they they would ask those trivia questions back then in multiple parts, and the guy would always say, "I'll take the last part first. <laughs> so that's how kind of how they answer this question. I'll take the last part first. No, I am not buying the uh, the current winning streak. If that's what you want to call it, I, I guess it's a winning streak. There, nah, there, well, there was a they, they there was an overtime that, loss. Overtime loss, but realistically, it's point it's streak. What, nine nine out of it's a point streak. Nine out of ten points. Yeah, that's not bad. That's nah, not bad. Yeah, yeah, that's borderline elite, Anthony. Yeah, nine. <laughs> call it like it is. That's there you go. That is elite production go. by an yeah. NHL squad. Squad, if I've ever seen it. Five straight games with at least one point. Uh, four of them are victories. Um. If you break it down, really, the last two were not pretty at all. I thought that they played well early in the road trip. Um, it, it slowly got worse. Um, the first two games of the trip were great. We talked about them on the last Snow the Goalie. Um, then uh, they played an okay game against San Jose, but the Sharks are just a much better team. Um, and the Sharks win that in overtime. Uh, Flyers won the game in Arizona on Monday. Um was not a good game at all. It was just kind of a bad game all the way around. Um, Flyers were actually able to take advantage of their power play in that game and scored against Arizona's penalty kill, which is the best in hockey. I mean, they're killing at 91%, which is really high. I mean, that, and that's got to come down a little what's, bit. What's their percentage again? I penalty kill? I think it's 91. I'm going to look it up real quick. Wow. I said, so that, out, I said 90, that out loud. Is 91 good? Because I can't help but notice that at least early in the game last night, the Flyers, by virtue of giving up yeah. a uh, a power play or a power play goal while on the PK, obviously that's how these things work. Uh, in their ninth consecutive game, the Flyers' PK percentage fell to sixty-seven point nine percent, which became the all-time worst penalty kill in NHL history. And one has to sit back and say, "Wow, 
I, I thought it was bad. Maybe we thought people were being hyperbolic and saying it was one of the worst of all time. But mathematically, at least through two periods last night, it was the worst penalty kill percentage in NHL history since they started tracking the stat in the 70s. This is alarming to say the least, although I guess the, the best way to fight back on that, if you want to defend it, is Ian LaPerriere took a puck to the face while the Flyers were beating the Devils in the playoffs in 2012, and that obviously makes him not only a good penalty kill coach, but perhaps the best in the game for the other team. Are you done? Your thoughts, 610-632. <laughs> no, so anyway, well, they killed the second penalty, and they're now the third worst in history. Uh, at 68.4 ahead of those 79-80 Kings and the Ottawa Senators of this season. Uh, you can check out their Uber video to see how they think about the oh. their penalty kill. They're down to 67.3 uh, after last night. So um, anyway, yeah. So I mean, yeah, the Flyers, you know, worry, Arizona is 91.1%, by the way, on the penalty kill, number one in hockey, um, which is really high. I mean, usually you want your PK to some be around 85%, but that's really good. Um, 91.1 is really high. Um, and last night's game, it really wasn't about special teams production. Um, even though the Flyers did give up the one goal on a power play, marking nine straight games that they have allowed a power play goal. Um, fourth longest streak in franchise history. The record is 12. Um, and, but it's the first time it's been it, this long since 2005-06, back in the days of Mike Rafji and Darian Hatcher. Those are uh, good days. Yeah, good. Yeah, I, I, call, I call them the halcyon days in my story <laughs> after the You're game killing. last night. Um, You're so upsetting sometimes. Yeah. I, won't let you, I will not let you besmirch the good name of Mike Ratchie on this, uh, on this podcast. Uh, well, How he dare was, you? Because he was a name that flyer guy he earlier, was. earlier. He was. So I am very defensive of that man. See, defensive <laughs> of the defenseman. Yeah. See that? Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. the Flyers gave up two shorthanded goals in the game last night, which was awful. And they were on the same penalty. Um, which only the fi- third 15 seconds apart. Yeah, only the third time in franchise history that's happened. Um, and, uh, and you know, they got they got the two nothing lead, they give up the, the power play goal was the killer because that swung momentum. Arizona at the Flyers looked like they were just going to dominate the game. Arizona gets the power play goal with Wayne Simmons in the box and makes it two to one. And from that point through the end of the, and that was, a, I don't know, what, what, how much time it was like. I don't know, 12 minutes ago in the first period when that happened, 13 minutes ago in the first period. From that point through the end of the second period, it was all Arizona. They scored four unanswered goals, two of them shorthanded. They now have nine shorthanded goals, by the way, which is what mo- you know the best teams in hockey usually have at the end of the year. They have nine on in by November 8th, which was crazy. Um, and then the and then uh, they went up four to two. Flyers, uh, Hackstall calls timeout, makes a goalie change, and the Flyers play a pretty strong third period to tie the game. Dale Weiss, Weiss Lightning, as your story uh, reads on Crossing Broad today. Go uh, Weiss Lightning, you're running up the hood of my Weiss Lightning, oh Weiss Lightning. Look at you, look at you with the musical reference there. You'd think that would be me with the musicals. No, it's you. Um, and then, uh, and then of course, Shane Goss' bear who had a, a, a crazy game yesterday, uh, got into a little bit of a shouting match with the linesman uh, for interfering with him on what turned out to be the first of those two shorthanded goals. Great uh, check. It was a great check by the linesman, <laughs> in fairness, against the boards. That was Gostas, pretty impressive. Yeah. Gostas Bear gets the uh, game winner in overtime 
on the only good play of the night by Jake Voracek, who I I was sitting there with, with you and uh, on one side and Bill Meltzer on the other, and Bill and I were talking at one point about just how poor of a game Voracek had played. Um, and then he comes, of course, he comes into overtime and he's got incredible jump. He gets that great first shot um, out muscles, two different um, coyotes to get the puck back and then makes a great feed to an open gosh despair for the shot uh, that wins the game. So, yeah, you know, look, you don't ever complain, really complain when a team goes um, 4-0 and 1 over a course of five games in the NHL. It's not easy to do. OK. But good, good on the Flyers for doing that, kind of saving their early season woes. Got back to, um, I, I say 500, but above 500 points percentage-wise. They've played 16 games, won eight. That's why I say it's 500. But points percentage-wise, uh, they're above 500. Um, and, and that's great. And, and, you know, that's all well and good. But that's all that they are, Russ. And that's why I'm not buying it, Right. That's not why. I, that's why I'm not buying what we're seeing here. Saying, "Oh my God, everything's fantastic!" Again, they've they've righted the ship because this is what they have been under Dave Hackstall. This is what they are under Dave Hackstall, and I'm pretty confident when I say, if if he remains the coach long term, this is what they will continue to be under Dave Hackstall. A an okay team who can ramp it up to a, a good level on some nights and win, win games, pull them out of their rear end, um, and then frustrate the hell out of you on other nights. That They are that inconsistent and that, you know, uncertain. And, and I think that's basically what the Flyers are. You look at – the Flyers keep saying they're looking for an identity. I think we know what their identity is. Their identity is this. They are just a mediocre hockey team. That's their identity. They're a mediocre team in a – mildly popular sport in a town where they have become forgotten. And it sounds really harsh to say it that way, but it it's not inaccurate. I said to you last night when we were doing the press row show, which by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you are subscribed to snow, the goalie, the only flyers podcast, you should go check out the press row show. The only flyers intermission and pregame show live from press row at Wells Fargo center that, all, that, at, for, at all games for once you're being honest with people. Yes, it is the only press yes. row show. It is the only one. No one else is doing it. We if do anybody it. else does, they're all frauds. They, they'll be stolen copycats. the idea. Be there copy. will be copycats and they'll be, yeah. it, it won't be good. No, but they, uh, but in all honesty, we, uh, we had great numbers. Like we only the last night, last night's game was only the second time we've done that for us. Yep. And between, uh, our Facebook, views on uh, the crossing broad facebook page and those people who tuned in on periscope on my twitter account um we had over 3500 people check out the press row show either pre-game or during first or second intermission which is an awesome number considering it's only the second time we've done it and with, with not a lot of promotion uh, we've done a little bit of promotion but not a lot of promotions with it so i have a feeling it's only going to get bigger and bigger and i think that's pretty cool i agree so you know Again, if you're listening to the show, you didn't know about it. We do it on Facebook Live on the Crossing Broad page. So if you're not following it, go follow that. And Anthony's Twitter, which, of course, is always linked in every description of every episode that goes out through whatever podcast app at Ant San Philly uh, via Periscope. So um, the one nice thing, I think the thing that obviously separates it from pretty much every other show uh, that happens that I guess is, you know, you know, on TV or on radio is we are constantly checking both of those outlets for questions, comments, concerns, 
uh, from every each and every fan. We I think for the most part we hit everybody's question or reflect on everyone's comments. So make sure you go check it out. It has been funny though to see some of the side eye that we've gotten from uh, from some people not not immediately around us. I think it's a little bit farther down the row. Um, but it, it has been interesting. You can tell originally people were like, what, what is happening over there? Why is there a microphone? And then pretty soon, you know, a couple, couple guys go through in the background and they're like, wait a second, why are they filming? And then, uh, yeah, it's been fun. It's, it's actually been kind of comical. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to, I won't name names, but some people who I don't think are going to be the most technologically illiterate people in the world trying to figure out how to do live streaming of any sort. So I think it's going to be cute. I think it'll be kind of fun. <laughs> but anyway, the, the, um, now that we got that nice promotion out of the way. The press one row thing, show. Yeah, press row show. Um, Trademark it. Yes. The thing you were talk, you wanted to talk about, though, was, uh, you know, the, the, the forgotten team. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. In the building. So yeah, go right I ahead. Went, I, went, I got, I I got something for you that you probably didn't know because you were, uh, you know, busy at your number one job all day. Yeah. Okay. Um, so – to, to me, where the Flyers are at right now as a team, and, and this is something we talked about last week. It's something we've talked about on the Press Row show. But um, I, I think the biggest issue with this team is the Flyers have gotten forgotten to a point where they've they've blown an opportunity. Now, the Phillies didn't exactly give a lot of lead in, nor did the Union. You know, you, you think about how teams feed off each other. There should have, in theory, been a huge surge for the Phillies in the Union after the uh, Eagles won the Super Bowl. I think we saw it to some extent at the end of the Sixers season. You would hope that throughout the summer you might be able to get a little bit of momentum going from some of these teams, knowing the Flyers were going to come back and that the Sixers were going to come back, especially knowing that the Phillies, you know, it looked like they, they might be in a challenge for a playoff spot late in the season before it all kind of fell apart. The Union ended up actually making the playoffs, but they're not going to drive a lot of people. Although I do know a lot of people who are both Union and Flyers fans, which kind of goes to a larger point. The, it was kind of almost like having a bad lead-in on TV, right, or even in radio. You think about guys in a midday show could get axed or, uh, you know, if the morning show wasn't very effective or the same thing can happen in an afternoon show if the midday show wasn't pulling enough ratings. So I, I find the Flyers right now, because they haven't put up good numbers on national TV especially, and, and again, you go back to the 8-2 loss to San Jose in the home opener, People who are fringe fans or who just say, all right, you know what? The Sixers aren't on. Like, why don't I just check and see? Like, I, I don't really like hockey all that much, but like maybe the Flyers will be better this year. Like, it, that's fine. You typically, even people who don't like the Flyers, they know who Giroux is. They might know who Gosses Bear is or know that he's called Ghost Bear or whatever. But, you know, because they haven't done a good enough job of capturing the hearts and imaginations of the Delaware Valley when they have been on national TV, um, I, I think they're kind of falling into this fringe category where I, I really do equate the Flyers to being more of a union than I do to them being more of a Phillies. The Sixers to me are the team that people in this time of year really care about. The, the Eagles are their own beast. So let's kind of put that off to the side, but the Sixers are like the hot team, right? And they're playing mediocre at, as well. And for all different kinds of reasons that we won't get into on this show, but they're not playing out of their minds. In fact, they've regressed, but they're still getting good ratings and people are still excited about the team. It was kind of a similar way to like what happened with the Phillies this season, right? Like there there was this hope, there was some promise, and obviously nobody thought that the Phillies were going to, you know, challenge for a World Series or anything, but I think people were excited about it. They're the bigger, more mainstream team. Meanwhile, like the Union ended up having their best season in franchise history, but they're a fringe sport and nobody really seemed to care. 
I feel like that's kind of where the Flyers are at right now. You're you're not getting people down there. And again, like we've talked about this every time, I'll probably bring it up every single time this this kind of discussion comes up. But the tickets are too expensive. And there are no people who are fringe fans who are looking at ticket prices, even like right before the game, saying, you know what, I, I'm willing to go down and spend $60 for an upper level ticket to go see this mediocre team play. It just doesn't make sense. Now, I will say to any of our listeners who are college students, I have a, a cousin who's a freshman at Drexel. He's on some kind of list, I guess, that the team has set up uh, with college students. I think you have to use your college email. And they'll actually send you like last-minute deals. He ended up meeting, um, which I don't remember which game it was. It wasn't the Islanders game. I think it was the one before it, um, where he got a lower-level seat like as a singleton for 20 bucks, front, like through the team. And that was pretty cool. So uh, check that out, I guess, if you're in college. But um, I, I, I just kind of view this team as being this fringe team. And I think it's a shame. They haven't been able to capture the hearts and minds of, of you know, fringe fans. And even to some extent, I think there's a lot of apathy that's been setting in. When you look at what happened last night where they gave up four consecutive goals, it wasn't even that the fans were booing them and, and, and like booing them off the ice. I mean, 20% of the seats at least are empty in those large blocks, which we've talked about in the past. That's just failure to, to either sell those tickets through via ticket brokers or whatever. You know, you've got 80% left. And, and by the time the third goal went in, it was apathy. It wasn't even anger. And that, to me, is a bigger concern. So that was a lot of talking. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, that's good. And you know, you need to. You don't come up for air very often. Sometimes, I'm starting to notice this when you get into a, when you get into a, a you know, a real good rant. Um, yeah, you, you you can go on and on and on. You don't uh, you don't stop, and that's okay. That's all right. I, I don't mind. I just sit here and listen to you. The dulcet tones of your voice. It's all Thank good, you. Russ. Who was it, Miley Cyrus, that once said, "We can't stop and we won't stop." Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Um, so far this season, the average Flyers game uh, has filled slightly more than nineteen thousand one hundred seats, according to stats published by ESPN. Um, that's actually good enough for fifth best in the league. Yeah, right. But it's still the lowest per game attendance for the Flyers. They say since at least two thousand. Uh, and I would I would go further and say since the Wells Fargo Center's existence. Are we saying nineteen thousand plus? actual butts in seats or tickets bought well that's probably that's probably ticket sales um okay, yeah because it makes sense because there's the not average thousand people in there the, no i think way. there are nineteen thousand six hundred seats or seven nineteen thousand seven hundred seats something along those lines um actually in the in the building um that they they count for a sellout and then there are you know the excess in the uh club boxes the suites and the balcony suites that can push it over twenty thousand um you know for the count but they only they only count i think 197 i think is what they count for for a sellout so they're averaging 19.1 that is that will you know espn only goes back to 2000 2001 but i can guarantee you that prior to 2000 wells fargo center was opened in 19 the 95 96 season but those five years prior to that that place was full for Flyers games. There's no way they averaged less than 19-1 during these first five years. Um, so this would be, and believe it or not, this is less than the 2006-07 season when they had the worst record in hockey. Um, so they're so far, now again, what have we had? Seven, eight home games so far? So it's not, it's not, there's still an opportunity, you know, second half of the year, they haven't played Pittsburgh, they haven't played the Rangers, they have, you know, Teams that usually they sell out, okay? Um, 
so they haven't played some of those teams. Games later in the year that are more, you know, have more meaning always draw more uh, fans as well. So this is a this 19-1 is probably a little low, um, but it is got you got to be seeing that there is, you know, in the last three seasons they were around. It looks like they don't have the exact numbers. They just have like a chart. This millennials love freaking visuals like just oh, geez are you seriously going to do this just give me the friggin numbers don't make this 2016 comment. 2016 17 looks like it was around 197 196 in that range um last uh last season was like 195 you know down a little there bit is, there is no chance in this world that most of those home games that we've been at have had more than 16,000 people no they have there's no that. way yeah no russ they do they trust me Come on that on. number yeah, yeah. Even if it's even if it's eighty, per, like you like to say eighty percent fill. I think it's a little bit more than that, but you say eighty percent filled. Even if it's even if it's eighty percent filled on nineteen thousand seven hundred seats, what are you talking? You're still talking. You're still talking over seventeen thousand. I was oh, I was gonna see. I was gonna see how this goes. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, okay. Not, that would 80, be eighty percent of twenty thousand would be sixteen thousand. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm saying. That's so what I said. There yeah, can't be more than there can't be more than than that. There is more than that. No. I can guarantee. I can guarantee. I'm going to the- count every seat <laughs> tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm going to go down there and so help me, Anthony. I'm going to take pictures. I'm going to count every seat. So just so you know, I'm I'm in the process of doing a uh, working on a story about this, and and I'm I'm sure I will get actual raw figures of who actually comes through the turnstiles uh, as opposed to tickets sold because um, they are two different numbers. Uh, what is announced is always the ticket sold, um, because that's where the rev- the revenue is based. You know, there is a revenue share in the NHL, and the revenue share is based off of your sales of your tickets. So that's why that's the number that's announced for attendance, and not the actual turnstile number, um, which is always less than the number that. And it, and it's for for every sport, it's always less than what um, what is announced. So. So yeah, so I mean, but there's no doubt. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and, and argue with you that they're not drawing. That they're drawing better, you know, as well as they usually do. They're not. They're not drawing well, you know, at all. And, and I think it's. I think it's fair to say that you know this number is got to be concerning. And this is probably the thing when we talk about Dave Scott going and talking to Ron Hextall. That's probably what he's seeing and saying. Well, we can't have this, you know, because if you're if you're drawing, if you're averaging 19-1 this year. And last year you were averaging 19.5. That's 400 less people, okay? At roughly 100 bucks a ticket, right? Do the math. How much is that? 40 grand a night. Do that by 41 home games a year. How much money is that? 1.6. 1.6 million just in ticket sales. Now you're not even talking about concessions and novelties and stuff. So you're probably talking, you know. Close to three million dollars, if not more. Probably more, yeah. Yeah, because you have to. Well, I mean, it's not like it it affects the team, but you got to think about that's a lot of money that you know facilities like Xfinity Live would also be benefiting from. Sure, you're right. Not not I, only for the people who are going into the game who might want to pregame there or have a meal at one of the the outlets there, but also just by virtue of you know like when a team gets hot and we see this, it's more of a summer thing, but. You have seen it in the past where people go down to Xfinity Live to go tailgate and then they go watch it there because they don't want to buy a ticket to the game. 
So yeah, like right. all these facilities are losing out, and yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, so I'm so, so I mean, if we're just saying in the building, there you're, we're talking about a three million dollar over the course of a full season um, drop off. That's pretty bad. And by the way, just so you know, in the 2011-12, the uh, they averaged twenty thousand four hundred people. Uh, so you're, so you're talking about in the span of the last seven seasons that it's, it's average, they're averaging 1300 fans less per game. 4,000. What's that? In my numbers, 4,000. <laughs> I'm going to hold, I'm holding, I'm holding firm to the 16,000. Okay. You will not talk me off this ledge. Well, until I, until I actually give you real numbers and when I give you fake real news. numbers, they yeah, uh, be news. fake news. Okay. Um, but yes. Where are you going to get the numbers from the team? Fake I, news. No, I will see. I cannot divulge a lot of the information that where we glean things from. I cannot say, but I mean, like if you remember at the end of last season, I did a big thing on TV ratings, and it was a, you know a pretty huge story for Crossing Broad, and it was dead on accurate because I actually got I had insider information that you know most media don't normally get on on total numbers and stuff. So I'm going to kind of use the same um, uh, efforts to uh, glean this information, just so I'm going to have to get it from uh, a source within the, within the Wells Fargo Center as opposed to the organization. That's the only difference. Um, and I have people that I can get that information from. So um, fact is, is that this is, this is, you know, this is a concern. This is definitely a concern, and and it's it, you're right. It's apathy. It's because the team is kind of mediocre. The team is kind of just the same thing, and so when you see the same thing three straight seasons in a row, and the numbers of people who are coming out to the game are dwindling three straight seasons, and those TV ratings, while they didn't really drop, even though people said that they dropped, as I pointed out in the story at the end of last year, um, there were very very minor. Um, drop-offs off of television and that, that could have been equated to obviously the Eagles run to the Super Bowl the Sixers being good again um, they were not like precipitous drops but they weren't improving by any stretch of the imagination that yeah the, the, you know the Flyers are quickly becoming an afterthought um, in this city and their solution this summer to, to rectify that was to create a mascot I mean, seriously, you know, was, I, I don't know how else to mascot, say it. Create a mascot and bring home JVR. Yeah, I mean, but that was that was it, you know. And um, it, now, did they have a more successful offseason than the Sixers did? Yeah, they did. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I mean, but the, the Sixers are selling line, out. Line, line Sixers up, selling out every night. Yeah, should they go be down now? there. Probably not mediocre, but yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, certainly, even though they're media, even though they're off to a slow start, the Sixers, they're they selling. Actually, yeah. They're filling that building, you know. They are. That's the diff. That's the difference because there's excitement there. There's an identity there. There are. There's a super. There's, well, definitely one superstar, maybe two, if if Ben becomes whatever he thinks he should become. To shoot the uh, ball. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's the difference right now. So and and so the the Flyers' solution was to get a mascot. I don't know. It's uh, on one hand, it's good because it it. To some extent, has has kind of taken the uh, a little bit of the spotlight off the players and and off of how mediocre they've been um, this this last little streak, notwithstanding. But 
no, I, I, I know what you're saying. Like it, it is a shame because like they, they continue to just miss out on it. Like I said, they miss out on opportunity to, to seize at least a little bit of the market uh, in this season. And I mean, with the Eagles, even though the Eagles are kind of meddling right now, right? Like they have, a, they have a, a chance if they can put together a decent enough stretch to like maybe get people to say, all right, I, I'll watch a game. But again, like when the tickets cost what they do, you can't get fringe fa- fans down there. Even, you know, what we'd call the authentic fan, you know, can't afford to go down and take their family down for a lower, lower level seat for like 120 bucks a pop, you know? And so it's, it's almost like the, the price of the game has driven people away and the product on ice hasn't, hasn't kept those who typically would stay. I mean, there have been people who have said to us on the press row show or have tweeted at, at me. And I, I would guess by virtue you that, like they they have had season tickets and they have to consider you know letting them go because the on ice product is not you know up to the standard that they would want to see and again like that's why i say there's so much like the union because these are a lot of the conversations that seem to be coming out of lifelong flyers season ticket holders are very similar to what union season ticket holders have said the product isn't good enough now the the difference here is the union tickets are very cheap. Like you can you can be a season ticket holder for eighteen games for like three hundred bucks. Um, so it's never a, a, the tickets cost too much. But like the on field on ice product just isn't up to snuff, and it doesn't look like they're ever really a contender in their conference. And like when you look at this Flyers team, you know okay they 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 create gritty or they find gritty right. He was found somewhere in Wells Fargo. They they did construction and he just popped up. He's not actually a mascot. He's a real thing. So Gritty shows up, fine. JVR comes back. We haven't really seen much of JVR because of an early season injury. If JVR comes back, they make a trade here and there. They they tweak it a little bit. Maybe they're able to get. Now, if if on some off chance they're able to like swing a deal for Nylander, like that would be interesting. Eric Carlson, like if San Jose for some reason decides around the deadline that they're going to cut bait because they don't think he's going to resign. Well, okay, then maybe if you're the Flyers and you can throw out a decent enough offer and bring him in. Like, it's not like these are going to really drive tickets from non-hockey fans. I don't think there's anybody who's really out there that could generate that kind of excitement in the city. There was a comment last night, and I don't remember who it was. I know we didn't address it, but it kind of stuck in my mind. Somebody had said, at some point, it's not a matter of if Dave Haxall is the right coach. It's a matter of having to go out and get that next face of the franchise in like Jack Hughes with the implication that like the Flyers should maybe consider a tank that if all they're going to be is a 500 team and you know that with guys like Giroux and Voracek eating up, you know, valuable cap space on this team, if the best this core can do is a 500 team, then like blow the thing up and and start over. Now, we've talked about this a bunch of times that in hockey, it's not as easy as it is in basketball to go in the tank and get that impact player percentage-wise, like the the whole thing. Like it's still a lottery system at the top of the draft. So even if you end up with the worst record in hockey, you're not guaranteed to get it. So I I don't know. I, I feel like, for the fans who are hoping to see this team end up with a young superstar, I think you're you're it's fool's gold. Like I think even if you manage to sell yourself on this the idea that Ron Hextall for some reason would part with Dave Hextall and just go with a stopgap coach for the rest of the season, I don't think this team is bad enough to go in the tank. So at that point, it's like, well, who do you trade? Like you trade away Voracek and try to get back some some draft assets, maybe, but you need to make the salaries at least somewhat work. So unless you're getting an expiring deal back and and a couple draft picks, like I like, is that really getting good value for Jake Voracek? You really think Claude Giroux is going to want to stick around for 
a total teardown and a couple more years to go back to like again the typical flyers thing two years away from being two years away like i don't see that we know that they'll probably part with wayne simmons either at the deadline or at the end of the season this team just like they're they're in that weird spot that the mid 2000s and like later 2000s sixers were in they're too good to be awful and they're too bad to be elite they're just this middle of the road franchise and when you know, kind of to your point, when the biggest story to come out of this team so far this season has been the mascot, it's a problem. It is, Russ, but I'll say this. When the Flyers had, were averaging over 20,000 fans in 2011-12, who was their superstar that was attracting the casual fan? In 11? 10-11? 11-12. That was the last time that they... Um, that they they were that was when they actually had their highest average according to ESPN when they had their highest average set, uh, attendance at a at the game at the game at the arenas 2011-2012 season. What year did Pronger get hurt? He was he was that was the year he got hurt. Okay, but so he didn't really. Well, uh, there there was some excitement about this young kid named Claude Giroux, who had stood up to Pronger uh, allegedly in the locker room. And to see like what he would look like, and and you still had Carter and Richards at that point, right? So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, Carter and Richards weren't exactly guys that I think everybody was ena- were enamored with. I think people liked them more because they thought they were somewhat relatable with the the old old city escapades and going out and partying. I, I don't know, like I I guess those guys were stars, but like in the in the grand scheme of things in the city of Philadelphia and the, and the, like the Philadelphia sports Mount Rushmore of, of current day players. Like, I don't know. Were either of those guys really on there? No, I don't know. Like Giroux, what, Giroux is now. Yeah. Oh, Was there anybody I, from that team? Like I what know. I will say from that team is you had some more personality. Okay. That, that, that was a diff, definite difference between what you had back then and what you have now. I mean, you had Pronger, although he did get hurt that year. Um, you, you had Scott Hartnell. I think that was the year Hartnell Down Foundation began, and that was kind of a fun thing to follow. Uh, you had Danny Briere, who was a lovable player, was uh, a, was great with the media, was always on camera, was a, a guy you kind of rooted for. And then you had those other players who were your star players, who may not have been big personalities, um, but you know, they they that whole old city thing. The really the first time that. Flyers players partied in the city as opposed to partying in South Jersey. Um, and so that could have, you know, been an influx of, you know, a following for, for you know, lack of a better uh, reason. That said, I, I don't see the, that huge of a difference. I mean, there is a little bit of a difference, but not enough. That team, that team won a, a round in the playoffs and then got bounced in the second round. Um, and that was a great playoff series against the Penguins. That was the shift, Drew, Peck and Crosby, you know, whatever. That, this does not include play. This is regular season attendance. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of a, a kind of a cool season. It was the last time they actually won a playoff round. Um, but they weren't much better than what you, what you had, you know, last year. I mean, they won a playoff round against Pittsburgh and then lost in the second round to New Jersey, a team that they probably were better than but lost to them. And that was it. It was the last time they were in the second round. And attendance has been pretty down since then. So, I mean, I don't think it has anything to necessarily do with the talent. Um, 
more so than more so than it did, you know. And there, I think there are other factors, and I think it's I think it's the mediocrity. I think that's what's really when you have what is this now three, four, five, six, seventh. This is the seventh season since you won a playoff series. I think that has more to do with it than anything else. That's why tanking doesn't work to me for fans in any sport. Like, you know, I know we bought into it a little bit here with the Sixers, but there's still, I mean, and that's going to be a vocal minority as far as I'm concerned. Ultimately, winning is what draws the attention of the fans. And if you sit there and say, well, it's going to be, we're going to give you a five-year plan or a seven-year plan to finally get back to being respectable again. Fans aren't going to, they're not going to buy into it until you're good again. They're like, okay, well, we'll see you in seven years then, you know, and that the Flyers are now into a seventh season since when they won a playoff game. Not to say the rebuild's only been part of the last four, but nevertheless, they're seven seasons without a playoff series victory. That's why nobody's coming to the games. It's really sad. It's like painting, paint such a sad picture, you know, because there's really not a way to turn it around. At least in the immediate future, right? I, like oddly enough, I feel like one of the things that that could have turned the tide for this team, and I wrote about this, and we talked about it on the Press Row show, is the coaching situation. Um, and I think we had talked about this off camera, but you know, a guy like Peter Laviolette resonated so well with the fan base. He was the personification of of how most Flyers fans felt at any given point of the game. If you just had a Laviolette cam the entire game. You could pretty much guess or or predict that his mannerisms on the bench were pretty much what you and your significant other or family member sitting on the couch were were doing, gyrating in, in the living room, right? And the one guy who's also very expressive and is also a bit of a hard ass who was available uh, on the coaching market was Joel Quenville. And by virtue of the Flyers, you know, going off and winning three out of four games on that road trip, you know, it, it clearly had to make those within the organization who might have thought that Dave Haxtell was on a little bit of thin ice have to kind of, you know, put that off to the side for a bit. I mean, I think that was job preservation 101. And when we saw what happened last night when they, they went up 2 nothing, which is something they just haven't done in games this year going up. Now, they've, they've, they did it on the West Coast trip, and they managed to come out with a really hot start last night. But to then go up and, and give out give up four consecutive goals – I looked at you at one point and said, like, does does this now get rid of any good feelings that were earned on that West Coast trip? Does that negate everything that was earned? And does it negate that feeling that you can't part with Hackstall at this point? And then, you know, after the game, they end up winning. I think I said to you, like, if that game had gotten to five, six, even, you know, God forbid, seven to two, like, I, I would definitely think that at that point, that makes everything from the West Coast trip go away. But I feel like Quenville's a guy who, like, it's not like fans are going to dole out all this cash to go just watch Joel Quenville on the bench. But I think to know that somebody who is proven as a coach in this league, who's won three Stanley Cups, I think that brings a certain legitimacy to your team that you don't have right now. And maybe part of that is because nobody seems to know who ownership is. It doesn't feel like there's any pressure coming from the top to apply pressure to the GM, to apply pressure to the coach. But man, if, if you get a guy like Quenville in here, you can't say that the guy is a moron. You can't say that the guy is incompetent. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's saying that about Dave Haxtell, but there's certainly, a, a, I think, a greater number of people who think he doesn't know what he's doing versus like what some of the other coaches in the city are doing. Though, in fairness, 
I'm not just so sure about any coach in this city, and that includes the one who won a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, I, I just merely point to two of his assistant coaches who we lost, and the offense hasn't looked the same this year, but whatever. And, you know, I'm just an idiot. But uh, I, I, I just kind of think, like, look, at some point you have to go out and, and do something that gets you some legitimacy and kind of regains the trust of your fan base. And if, if we've learned that Dave Haxtell is merely a guy who can maybe push some of the right buttons. And, and you know, again, we gave him credit on the press, show, press row show. We gave him a little bit of credit on this show last week. He has done a better job of putting young players in successful positions this this season for the most part. Uh, Vorobiev, notwithstanding, getting, you know, banished to the press box and then sent back down to the AHL. Um, I, I think if, if all we're going to see here is, like, I don't know how many of these guys have really gotten that much better and grown under his leadership – then at some point, like, don't you just say, like, look, this this was a nice idea conceptually. He found success in college. It didn't really work out here. He's a middle-of-the-road coach. He can't really motivate his team consistently to, to you know, achieve the, the highest that the game offers. Like, don't you at some point just hand this thing over to a guy who has a proven track record? Now, obviously, that doesn't account for the guys who are in the locker room, their mental makeup. And I there was a very interesting thing that you pulled from Hackstall's press conference that I think maybe speaks to why Quenville might not be the best coach with this group. I, I'd love to have you elaborate on it and kind of explain to the fans why, you know, the Quenville, you know, coming in as co- as coach might not be such a, a resounding success as everyone would expect. Well, it's not even that. It's so first, let me just say this. I, you know, and I, I think I would, if I was the general manager, I would seriously consider making this change at this point because you don't just have an opportunity to get a coach who's won three Stanley Cups in six years and bring him in. He's there and he's available. And the guy that you have in place has done nothing more than get you to the playoffs twice in the past three years. And it looks like this season he's going to be, you know, in the kind of same same spot again. Um, maybe, maybe not, you know, get one of the last playoff spots. Um, that said, I... I as much as I've not liked Hackstall's coaching, I don't think he's an I don't think he's an idiot. I know a lot of fans do on Twitter. I don't think he's an idiot. I think that he's an okay coach, but you need better than okay. Bingo. You, you don't need, have the star power to overcome that. Right. But the interesting thing to me would be, you know, if you and, and this you can learn a lot about your team. You can learn a lot about your players by making this change. Because if you make the change to Quenville, and Quenville has success. It's it's so it's a win-win situation. If you make the change to Quenville, Quenville has success. Then you sit there and say, okay, well, this is a coach who knows how to make this group of guys win. If you make the change to Quenville and he doesn't have success, and it's the same thing, you have pretty much the same results as you were having with Hackstall. Well, then it lets you know that there's a problem with the construction of the franchise. Okay, so this is to me. You know, and I think that this is why Hextall would be a little bit reluctant to do it because he looks at it and and it says this could end up looking bad for him as the general manager. But if you're the CEO, if you're the owners of this team and you look at it and say, okay, well, um, we've got better with a new coach. That's great. That's so the changing the coach was the right call or we didn't get better. And gee, what's wrong with our players? Where do we go from here? Is that a problem with the general manager? Maybe you think about making a change there. So it, it's almost like, you know, Hextall is able to cover his ass by 
hoping against hope that Paxtall turns out to be the guy. If you show patience and give him a chance and let him coach for five seasons and maybe eventually he'll get there, as opposed to switching to a guy who you know has a great track record and then he comes in and he can't make it work either, well, then what the hell's wrong with the players that you've put out there on the ice? Yeah. You know, you can, you yeah. can, the, the first time out, you can blame the coach and say, look, I gave you the tools and you didn't succeed. But the second time out, if you have the coach again, now it's on the general manager if it's the same thing. The Flyers are in that phase of their life between high school and college. Dave Haxtell is their high school girlfriend. And they're afraid to move on and just break up because they want the security. They know what they have. And it might not be the best. They don't really have much to compare it to. But they're afraid of making that change. And sometimes making the change, while it's scary, is the thing that ultimately leads you to success. And they are just afraid to pull that trigger. And there's no doubting it. Now, you know, you and I might disagree. We talked about this last night. We might disagree about how close the team might have been to ending this coaching experiment if the road trip had gone poorly. But I think the fact that it sounds like some doubt had crept into the minds of people within the organization and obviously Dave Scott showing up. And, you know, having previously seen Bobby Clark and, and lining up the time, the time frame of when he said he would see Hextall next, I think it's pretty safe to say that, like, there there was a real thought to these guys, you know, having doubts about Hextall. And if you're that close where a West Coast swing could be the thing that ultimately decides his fate, I think that, that tells you that organ, as an organization, you've already kind of moved on in your mind. And when you have such a great coaching candidate out there who's available and who, you know, might be able to get more out of this. I think it's something that you have to do. I think the the analogy I used last night was, you know, sometimes you hear a coach say that they, they think they squeezed every bit of juice out of the team, right? To me, this isn't just about squeezing the juice out of the team. This is making use of all parts. This is like taking taking the orange and zesting it first and then using the juice or a lemon if you prefer. This is taking the chicken, taking all the meat off, and then using the bones for stock. I don't think Hackstall has that in him. I think he's a he's a breast meat kind of guy. He discards the dark meat. He discards the bones. He doesn't make a stock. He's just trying to make do and and like kind of cover up some of the flaws by presenting the best parts, and that's double shifting, you know, the top talent. That's not running risks at times with some of his younger players. I I just think he is he's risk adverse, and I think the organization is as well. And at some point you know, Quenville is going to sign with a team. And that actually comes to one of the questions or comments that we got on Twitter uh, from Mike Aceto, who said, biggest fear is Flyers falter under Hack for the rest of the season, then fire him this summer. But by that time, Coach Q is off the market. Shouldn't Hextall be planning for a coaching upgrade if indeed Hack is likely out of here in the next year anyway? I think it's fair. I think it's a very fair question. And it's something that I would still guess is bouncing around the minds of some in Wells Fargo center yeah and uh, i'm glad you went to fan questions before you gave me another metaphor um (laughs) because that's what i was going to do i was sitting here i know we have a few fan questions that we wanted to get to and i wanted to make sure that we got to them before you uh, you you started talking about uh you know chili or or uh or tacos well you could do a brine you could use (laughs) some fruit to brine a, uh, a turkey if you're looking for a, a citrus a citrus bird so it is actually good by the way but continue yeah anyway but mike's um mike Aceto's 
comment is a very fair uh, comment because you're right. I mean, what if what if you get to the what if the Flyers team and it's a good what if because it's because it's a realistic what if. What if they get to the end of the season and they're you know the same team they were at the end of the previous three seasons, which is what I think they're going to be. Yep. And you and the team decides at that point that okay we got to do something different. And they decide to go to a new coach at that point, and the one and the guy you should have gone went out and got is no longer there. Yep, it's a great question. I, I mean, now, I mean, the the, the contrarian um, devil's advocate could come back to Mike and say, well, maybe they remain patient, and this guy gets this team going in the right direction, and the young players really step up. And once JVR gets back in there, now they're going to start scoring more goals. And hey, they've won four out of five, or four zero and one, and they're going to start playing you know, 647 hockey the rest of the way, and they're going to be a team that nobody's going to want to play during the rest of the regular season and into the playoffs. They're going to be dangerous. You could be that too. You don't know. There's just such a little chance. I, think of it like this. I, I think for those who were still on the fence about, like, do you make a midseason coaching change? This is the question to ask, kind of to the point that you just made. Look at this roster top to bottom. Is there a scenario where this team becomes a top two team in the Eastern Conference, realistically, no. without there being major injuries to multiple other teams? No. Then there is nothing wrong with making a change. Correct. Like, this isn't a scenario where you're sitting, like, at, maybe the Sixers are a good comparison for this. You can look at the Sixers and say, they, they're playing middle-of-the-road ball right now, but... It doesn't take that much to get them to be a top two team in their conference, right? This Flyers team doesn't have that. This Flyers team probably with, you know, one trade here or there between now and the deadline likely is not going to get up to one of those top two spots with this coach, with these players. And I think even with the trade, I I don't see there being somebody available right now unless there is another team in this league who has a star who's regressed at least a little bit, and they want to do like a, a like similar uh, um, salary swap with like a Voracek or something to see if if maybe that can jumpstart things for their team. I just don't see a way to, to get this team to be a top two team in the conference. And at that point, it's just like, why not make the switch? I mean, are styles going to change? Yes. Is the coaching style, is, is the day-to-day operation going to change? Yes. And you had brought up a really good point last night that you've got five games in, was it, nine nights. It doesn't seem like a good time to make a coaching change. I would argue you could probably go with an interim coach for a few days there, make the hire, and and begin to start implementing a system and, you know, kind of kind of making a, a, a transition to this. I don't know how exactly that looks. Um, it, it's not the best time to make a move, but again, like Quenville's out there and I don't think it's going to take long for him to find a new job. Now, maybe it, maybe if he doesn't sign anywhere immediately, it's going to be because he simply wants to pick the right situation and he's earned that right. But if I'm the flyers, I, I have to make that call. Well, so here's the thing. And I could, I could say this for sure. Um, when you make a coaching change and you go to hire a new guy, it's not like you just suddenly call the guy up and say, all right, we want to hire you and you work out a contract deal and then you fire the coach and get the new guy in and it happens in 24 hours. There is actually time that is take that takes place in there, right? So if you're looking ahead and you say, well, when would be a good time to bring in a new coach? I would say to you that it would be 
um, after the November 20, uh, 27th game against Ottawa, which is so you're basically looking at uh, another two and a half weeks. And in that two and a half weeks, the Flyers have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games. Okay. Five of which are at home, uh, six of which I'm sorry, are at home. And two road games, one in Buffalo, one in Toronto. So they're, they're really not, they're not traveling far. They're pretty much locked into place and staying here. After the Ottawa game, they only have two games in the next 11 days. Okay. A road game in Pittsburgh and a home game against Columbus. There's a three-day three day break and a four-day break uh, built into that before, you get the, before they embark on a long road trip in December. Um, that would be the time. So if you're sitting there saying, okay, maybe you call Joel Quenville and you say to him, okay, here's what we'd like to do. We're thinking about doing this. Are you okay waiting until the end of November? If he gives you, yeah, sure, no problem. His agent tells you, yeah, we'll, we'll hold off till the end of November. Then you just you just kind of start having those private discussions and figure it out, you know, later in the month. However, if the team starts going on a roll, you don't make the change. If the team continues to be mediocre, then you make the change at that time. And I think that that's a that's a real conceivable approach. You can talk to the guy in advance. Um, that's a lot I mean, of games, man. That's well, a lot of games. To but here's the, but here's the thing. No one else has fired their coach to hire Joel Quenville yet, right? Not yet. Okay, so that's my point. So, like, if any if if anyone was thinking along the lines of let's do this right away, do it now, do it now, they, there might be teams who are thinking it. There might yeah. be a team who's already contacted him and they have something in mind. And I mean, it could be the LA Kings who are going to fire John Stevens, but they want to do it at the right time. Um, again, they might have you know a, a spot in the schedule where it makes more sense. Whatever, well, whatever the case might. What's that? John Stevens. What? He got fired two days ago. Oh, that, yes, John, not John Stevens. Um, who was the other one? Uh, that that there that was uh, being considered uh, being let go. Um, not L.A. Damn it. Uh, Oh, you're gonna make me look it up now. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to throw a wrench in that. Yeah, like, I, I, I forgot for a second because we talked. We talked about it last week. Is like, oh, John Cena's yeah. probably on the hot seat. But yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, that spot's out there. Uh, yeah. No. But yeah, the point. Know. The point is, is, it takes time to fill yeah. to fill the spot. Is what I was going for. Right. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. So it's you know it, the the point of the point of it is is that. It could be in the works, but I don't. Th- I don't think it is. But it could be. And if it is, you got to look for a time that where it makes the most sense. And that's when it makes the most sense. When you get a when you get a break to get a new coach in. I mean, you could sit there and say maybe after this homestand by the next Saturday, then they have three days off before they play Buffalo. That's when. It's also do. right before Thanksgiving, and you're probably not going to fire a guy right before the holiday, right? He's still he's still going to make his money. He's not going into the poorhouse. This is no, like Ebenezer Scrooge making. Yeah, I'm the, just uh, telling you. I'm just telling you how the NHL works. Yeah, just telling you how the NHL works. I mean, it's just it's just the way it's just the way things are. In, I got it. In the, it's just, in the sport. The, they the have a they have of, a you know they have a trade freeze at the holidays in the yeah. NHL. Yeah, yeah. They're, you're not allowed to trade anybody right before Christmas. Is that an official rule? Yes, <laughs> it's an official rule. It's an official one. That's not just a uh, a gentleman's. <laughs> Wow. No, yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, so that's what that's what I'm saying. Um, I mean, it was it's uh, it's kind of crazy, you know. 
If, yeah, yeah, no, no kidding. I was, right, by the way, I was, th- I was thinking of um, Todd McClellan in Edmonton. Got it. Yeah, is, is who I, is the guy? Other guy I was thinking about because yeah, they have a star he can, player. He can take yeah. over probably the best player, second best player in the league. That's not a yeah. A, that's not right. an unattractive situation. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. We, we have two, two more comments. Two more, Go ahead. two more comments, and then we have a five star review and a uh, an addition of who's that flyer, and we'll, okay. and we'll wrap from there. So, uh, yep. Darren Scott on Twitter at uh, DPS zero six one six says, "One of both of your thoughts on this: the play of Nolan Patrick has been really good lately, but the most impressive part of his game so far this season has been his back checking. I feel like he's constantly catching the puck carrier and stripping of of possession." Uh, yeah, we talked we talked about this last night. Nolan Patrick has been a bright spot. Was a bright spot on the West Coast trip. And I think even uh, in the Islanders game, he was just a guy who looked like he wanted to will the team back into it, which is a good sign from a young player that you know a lot of people had high expectations for. Yeah, no, I, you're, you're absolutely right. And and Darren's got a real uh, a good eye um, for that. I mean, it's not it's something that's probably not been talked about a lot. Um, it might be uh, worthy of a sidebar, Russ, as one of our future uh, future games here coming up. Um, Nolan's Nolan's been really good. Um, really has been, and, and you know, obviously he's produced offensively, but but he's absolutely he's correct when he points out that Nolan is has done a real nice job on the defensive side, and it's kind of a you know I kind kind of worried a little bit with that second line because I didn't think that he was going to be as good as he's been playing defensively on that second line, playing with Voracek, and yeah, you have Lindblom who is more defensively responsible, but he's not like a overwhelmingly defensively responsible guy. Um, but, uh, but I think that it's a good, it's a good, um, it's, it's, it, he's played really well. He's just played really well all around. He's, he's been solid uh, two way hockey player for the Flyers to this point. And I think that, you know, if, as do I ever think he's going to be a superstar? I don't, but do I, do I think that he's going to be uh, a legitimate, you know, top six forward who's going to put up a good number of points and actually be responsible in his own end. I do. I do think he's going to be a good hockey player for a long period of time. I know it might be a loser's way to look at it, but like, again, you have to kind of remember that getting Nolan Patrick was pure luck. I mean, like to some extent, anything you get out of him is just gravy, right? Like, yeah. I, know, I know that like there, are, there are going to be high expectations because it was the second pick in the draft, but it wasn't a spot that they expected to be in. And they just so happened to, you know, end up with a, who I think for most of the the time had been the consensus number one overall pick and then some injuries cropped up, but he looks like he's healthy. And again, like seeing the fire, seeing him flying around on the ice has been encouraging. Uh, Last comment was by Steve Appleman at Snapple Apple. Uh, What do you guys think the Flyers major problem is playing at home? I know they won last night, but they just can't seem to win a lot of big games at home and fold under the pressure. Is it the fans or do they just like getting away from them? So, I kind of addressed this a little bit um, in my story uh, after the game um, that, and I didn't, you asked me, you had asked me this previously, Russ, and I said, no way that they're, they're bothered by the fans. Are you kidding me? These guys are professional athletes. They play in, in front of, you know, people screaming all the time. They're, they just tune it out. There's no way that they hear this stuff. Well, it turns out the, I was wrong. The Flyers have rabbit ears. And, if there was any doubt about that, is you you just listen to um, the comment from last night when uh, Dave Haxtall said in the post game pre- uh, was talking in the post game press conference about what was going on during the timeout uh, that he had called, 
And I think thought that was a really interesting thing. And I said to you on the way back uh, upstairs, back to the press box after after the press conference, I said, you know what? That that is that was maybe the most interesting thing that came out of this game, is what he said. And he said um, during the timeout, he says it's a matter of getting back together, getting your brain settled down, calm down, worry about the next shift. Don't worry about everything else going on on the other side of the glass. We've had some struggles in this building, so get the focus on the ice. That's the only message. So that tells me that the coach is the coach called a timeout and basically told his team to stop worrying about the fans booing them. Yeah. That that blows my mind that that's a thing. That's even a, it's even a, like how do you have those rabbit ears, man? I mean, you're a professional athlete getting paid handsomely to play a game. And you're going to sit there and be affected by some chucklehead screaming that you stink from the from the stands? Like, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't, know. I, I don't, I don't know get if this it. Is something where like you you have to kind of question how the front office has been drafting guys? Like, if, is this is this a systematic issue? Like, is is this systemic of of what's gone on in in drafting and acquiring these guys, or is it just a few key contributors? Like, these are all things that we don't know for sure. But yeah, it was a very telling answer, um, and it, it's I, I would say it's it's pretty disappointing. Um, real quick, before we go on to our, our last couple things, I just wanted to say it was really refreshing last night um, in a in a season that's been full of a lot of downs at home, especially as we've been down there covering the team. Dale Weiss last night was simply delightful. And I know that a lot of people have given Dale Weiss a hard time. I did at the end of last season. He's played a lot better this season. There There is no doubt that Weiss and even Yori Laterra have played better uh, in their given roles this season. Weiss was so refreshing in the locker room. Uh, you know, there are there are guys, and, and it's pretty easy to figure out who they are, I think, if you're a fan. There are guys who get called out pretty much every night to do media availability. They stand in front of a, uh, in front of the, the media core. They don't say a whole lot. They talk. They don't say much. Weiss last night talked for nearly nine minutes to media. In the time that he had talked to the full media scrum and then a, side, a sidebar that I was part of, Two other player interviews had gone through in their entirety. I think it was uh, Pickard and and Elliot had gone through. And he was absolutely refreshing to hear because he was candid in his answers. And he's clearly a guy who was making the most of the opportunity to meet with the media and, and really be in front of the fans. And we know that, you know, it's it's not so much getting the camera time, but I, I think being able to actually kind of put out there the way that he's been feeling as a player. And, and I, there was actually a very telling thing that Shane Gosses Bear said when he mentioned the fact that, you know, Weiss has been kind of fighting some, well, he didn't say fighting some demons, but he said he was in a dark place where he didn't think he was going to play for the rest of the season. And, you know, you, you, you look at it and you go back. And one of the questions that I had asked Weiss, because people were focused on like the specific move that he did, but, you know, I asked him if was finding himself on that breakaway on that beautiful pass from, from ghost, you know, it's not a spot that he finds himself in very often. And like, do you get nervous in that situation? You know, you think kind of back to the, you know, you you listen to the fans booing and everything. The, the game had gotten away from the team, and then there he is on a breakaway with the game on his stick. And I said, you know, is is it? Do you just kind of go back to being a kid and like kind of visualizing that that part of the game? He said, yeah. Like at that point, you don't think of anything else. He's like, it's just like being a kid again, and and you think of that scenario where you go down the ice and you have the chance to tie it up, and it's you versus the goalie, and and you put it in. So I, I thought it was it was really cool. And this is like one of those things that I, I would love to get feedback from people who listen to the show. You know, are there people out there who would like to hear the unfiltered um, comments from the, the players 
because I could always edit those things in and drop them in the Snow the Goalie channel if people really wanted them. Um, you know, maybe sometimes it's just like one really good clip. We don't always get a lot. Um, like I said, some of these guys, they meet with the media. They don't really say much at all. Um, but when you get something like what Dale Weiss had, like I, I just thought it was it was so different from what we usually get from guys, even in sidebars. It was just really cool. Really good insight yeah. on, on his part. Yeah. And and make and, and it's in, I'm glad that you say that, Russ, because um, you know, there's a lot of people who you know, argue like, well, why do why do you guys defend players like that? And it's not that we defend them, because there are times when they um, there are times when they deserve to be criticized, but you can't sit there and criticize these players day in, day out and blame them for everything when it's, it's just not fair. And then you get to know them as people and you say, you know what, this freaking guy's out there busting his ass, trying to make it as a, you know, bottom six forward in the national hockey league. And, you know, that's his career. And, it, you know, every day his career is on the line. And we don't know, you know, we have the, the luxury of sitting back and, and criticizing. But you sit there and, and try and put yourself into that mental position that this guy is in. That he is doing anything he possibly can to keep his career moving forward. And then he finally gets an opportunity and he, and he succeeds at it. Rather than sit there and berate the guy constantly... You sit there and say, well, let's look at it. Let's break it down. Let's let's figure out what his role is. And is he doing what he's being asked to do? And this season, he certainly has. And then when he gets a gets a good goal, yeah, it's, you can joke about it. I joked about it last night. I said, Dale, we scored and I just died. Um, like, I, we all just had, we all laughed about it a little bit. It was his first goal in almost a year. That's fine. But, the, but, it's, but it's good. For, it's at the same time, it's good for him. Good for him because he's been working his tail off and playing some good hockey, and he yeah, was able yeah. to help the team get back in, in, in into a game and win a game. That's that's good, and that's you know. So you can joke about it all you want. It's nice to it's nice to see. It's nice to see it's, and understand the human side of it. And I would say it's also nice to see from from some of the the veteran leaders on the team who are the big points guy. Uh, you know, I, I speci specifically think about you know Ghost mentioning. You know how good it felt to see Weiss find success like that, especially because of what he's been through and how hard he's worked to try to get to a spot. You know, it's funny. Two of the guys who I think we've gotten some of the best answers from this year are bottom six forwards in Jordan Wheel and and uh, Dale Weiss. So it is interesting. You there's there's a part of you with the human aspect of this where you just kind of wish that these guys had the the elite skills that some of the other players did because they give such good responses and because they're very open about. You know, in Weiss's case, it wasn't just about his own play, but it was about, you know, being on the bench and and kind of like taking a macro view of this team and the struggles they've had. He just gave some awesome responses. So, you know, felt really good for him. We'll see how he, he carries that through. Uh, we had a five-star iTunes review. Of course, if you're subscribed to the show or you're listening for the first time, head on over to Apple Podcasts or to iTunes, whatever device you have, and leave a five-star rating, which is great, but also leave a review. And give us some feedback. It's one of the the best ways for us to interact with you. So uh, Austin19837 said, love the podcast. So refreshing. Five stars. I gave you five stars because I basically listen to the podcast and XM radio all day. And from a local podcast, your podcast is so refreshing. Not like the other ones that are blogs and always screaming. It gets annoying, but love your insight of the years you've been around the team and love the in-game interviews and believe 
you're right above me at the games because I've been a season ticket holder for 13 years now. Keep up the good work and looking forward to more episodes in the future. Thumbs up emoji. So big thank you to Austin. And uh, that's, that's pretty cool. cool. So yeah. Anthony, Anthony, I do have a, uh, a who's that flyer. And then, no, here we go. and then we'll wrap up. So you earlier referenced the 2011-2012 Flyers team. So that got me thinking about a player who I don't know you're going to uh, be able to figure out right off the bat. This Flyers player had seven points in 45 games played. <laughs> seven points? Oh, gosh. Okay. That's all I'm giving you. That's all? I get nothing else? Seven, seven points, seven 45 games. There's <laughs> one fact that if I give it to you, you are going to get it immediately. <laughs> Do you want uh, it or no? No, hold on. Seven, I'm just at 45 games in that season. All right, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Maybe maybe that. So I don't want you to give me the one fact that okay. would make it automatic, okay? okay? But maybe maybe I can ask you a question um, that might help. Uh, get Socratic me a, method. I love it. Go ahead. Yeah, get me a little bit closer to it. Um, uh, did, did this guy... Um, was this how about how about this? Was this guy a Flyers prospect, or was he brought in from another team? Let me look. Hold on. I don't have the you answer. Don't, to that you don't know the head. answer, huh? Um, I guess he was. I, I think he was one of their prospects. He yeah, was one of their. Yeah, they drafted him. Prospects. Yeah, they drafted him. Yeah. So he was drafted by the Flyers. He was. If I give you the clue, you're going to get it immediately, I think. Do you want the clue? Um, 2011-2012 was the only season this man played in the NHL. Oh, well, that, see, I was going to guess somebody else. Now I'm not going to guess the person I was going to guess because I know that guy, the guy I was going to guess played more than one season. Um. I'll tell you who I was going to guess. Okay. And I know, I know it's, I know it's the wrong answer. I was going to guess Eric Gustafson. That is incorrect. Yeah. Um, and I avoided Gustafson because he came up in conversation between us, I think at the game. So okay. I didn't want to go with that. So no, it was not Gustafson. Yeah. So somebody only played, this was the only season he played in the NHL and he played 45 games for 45 them. 45 games, seven points, a plus minus of positive four. Averaged 16 minutes and 11 seconds on ice. His core C4 percentage was 51.3%. Okay, so if he played 16 minutes and only had seven points, it means he has to be a defenseman. He is. Yeah, you wouldn't be playing 16 minutes a night and only get seven points if you were a forward. Um, there. Who the hell only played one season and was a, and was a Flyers prospect? Because, I mean, I mean, I could have gone another direction too. And who um, would that have been? But again, it wouldn't have been a Flyers prospect. That's the who reason was, I would have it? I would have guessed um, Lilia Andreas Lilia. Nope. nope. Um, wow, I I got a good one. This is a good one. Jeez. I was, all right. This this one will give it to you. You ready? Go ahead. He had a hyphenated name. Hyphenated name. Oh, okay. I know it. Mark Andre Bourdon. That is correct. Mark Andre Bourdon. Is this week's who's that flyer? Yeah, he. Uh, it's a of shame. Course, he, was... he was he was drafted in the third round, 67th overall in the 2008 NHL draft. 
by your team, your town, your Philadelphia Flyers. And it was the only season he played in the NHL. He went on to play a couple more seasons for the Adirondack Phantoms. Yeah. Uh, and he had, he had a no, no. Yeah. He had a real bad um, concussion um, and a real major problem coming back from the concussion. He also dealt with some, uh, some other issues uh, that were kind of related to um, depression uh, from the concussion. And, and what it was like to try and come back from that and oh, never could, oh, never could, ma- never could make it. But he was such a nice guy. God, you had to end it on a negative note. Why yeah. Well, I'm we, just telling why you, he, couldn't we just end with Mark Andre Bedone. Uh, yeah, it was a, he was a great guy and he tried the flyers. He was a great guy. So here's, here's the thing. Like they honestly believed he was going to be a legit NHL defenseman. Like they, they, they thought he was a, a solid prospect for them. Um, and they felt like he was going to make it into the NHL and have a, a lengthy career. Um, and that concussion was so bad and it really derailed him. It's, it's funny. Like that was the same year. I believe that was the same year. Eric Wellwood had his nasty leg injury that ended his career. Now he's a junior hockey coach, um, in, in the Canadian juniors. But, um, yeah, I'm pretty certain that that was the same season as, as, uh, as Mark Andre Bourdon's uh, concussion, that was a bad year for them with injuries. Pronger, that was when Pronger's career ended. Oh my God! Okay, we're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. That was so that was, sad. That was, was a, a bad, lot of sadness. There was a that was a bad year. That was a okay. real bad year. So, so let's move on really quick. Um, to everyone who listened, who checked into the press row show, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, of course, anytime the Flyers play a home game, make sure you check out the Crossing Broad Facebook Live page and Anthony's Twitter at Philly uh, via Periscope for the uh, the press row show um i know that next week i'm gonna be flying solo on tuesday and thursday night i'll probably still do some version of it and i'm sure that the games that i'm not there you'll likely do the same thing uh via periscope so uh until we know for sure let's just go with the assumption that if there was a flyers home game check the facebook page uh for crossing broad or anthony's twitter feed and uh you know check in for the press row show We'll be down there uh, tomorrow for that. And they play at 1 o'clock, so we'll go live at 12.30. And then first and second intermission. Of course, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, send them to us there or tweet them at us, and we'll be more than happy to respond. Um, As always, thanks for checking out Snow the Goalie, the Flyers podcast, the only Flyers podcast on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, which includes other shows such as Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast with uh, Anthony and Bob. Bob, who you can find on Twitter, at Broad. Crossing Broad FC dropped a new episode over the weekend. How about that? Look at you. No, it was midweek. It was midweek. Um, talking about the club seasons that have gone on so far in Champions League. So that's uh, me and Phil Kaidel, who you can find on Twitter at Phil Kaidel, K E I D E L. Not hard to spell. It's Phil Kaidel. Crossing Broadcast. Kyle and I dropped a two hour episode on Monday where he detailed spending a night playing craps with Allen Iverson. Yes, that Allen Iverson. And, of course, it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid and Dave Zeitlin, who you can find on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid and at Dave Zeitlin. Um, if you haven't noticed this by now, every episode that goes up in the description, there are links to my Twitter and to Anthony's Twitter. You just click on those. That will lead you right there, and you can just hit follow if you're not following us. And for the other shows, it will redirect you straight to, I believe, their iTunes feed. If it takes you to Art19, it's very simple. You can actually find the subscribe buttons uh, on each of those specific pages for iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. So until next week, for Anthony, at Ant San Philly, I'm Russ, at Joy on Broad. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon, I guess Saturday morning, on the Press Row Show, live from Press Row at the Wells Fargo Center.